Turner, the School of Public Service and Global Affairs podcast about current events, politics, and pop culture. I'm Cassie, I'm a dual enrollment student, and I'm planning on majoring in public service and global affairs. My name is Randall Sutter, I'm a sophomore uh, at Gannon, and I am a uh, public service and global affairs major. I'm Jeff Bloodworth, I'm a professor of history, a co-director of the School of Public Service and Global Affairs, and with us is a special guest. Really special. Do you want to introduce yourself special first? Yes. Um, I am Andrew Caswell. I'm an associate professor of psychology, and I am the co-advisor for the Maldi Wing Club. Awesome. So to start and break the ice, what about pop culture? Disney Plus, anyone? Um, I am definitely not stealing my friend's Disney Plus account at the moment. So. Oh, yeah. I'm not doing that either. So how are you watching Star Wars on Disney Plus then? I mean, if I were to be watching Star Wars on Disney Plus, um, in our fraternity house we have this giant projector set up and we all kind of sit around and watch it together. So it's kind of fun. So somebody in your house has Disney Plus and you're able to watch it? I plead the fifth. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So here's the thing. How many, Cassie, how many streaming services do you have? So it would be three. We have Netflix, Hulu, and then currently I'm using my sister's Disney Plus. Oh, okay. So now we we don't have to report you. You just reported yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm trading it. I gave her the Hulu login, and then she gave me the Disney Plus login. Okay. That makes it legal? Yes. And she didn't actually use her last name, so nobody knows. <laughs> smart. Yeah, very smart. Mm-hmm. So, Andrew, how about you? How many streaming services do you have? Um, I just have Netflix and Amazon Prime. So two. Yeah. Okay. Andrew? Or I'm sorry, Randall? Um, I technically have two in Netflix and Hulu, but we all watch Disney Plus as well. So how's the new Star Wars? Um, I actually have not finished uh, the prequel trilogy. I'm trying to go back through and watch it for the first time chronologically. So um, I'm looking forward to, what is it, The Mandalorian? Mm-hmm. The new series. I haven't seen it yet. I've seen a lot. Is that, I believe, isn't that where the Baby Yoda meme is coming from mm-hmm. right now? Oh, I love the Baby Yoda meme. Yes. That was brilliant. Like, if you want to get people to buy your yet another streaming service that they do not time to actually get their money's worth from, throw in Baby Yoda. Like, whoever came up with that was absolutely brilliant. Yes. Like, I almost wanted to get Disney+. Plus. I almost bought a... Uh, laptop on Black Friday because it came with six months of Disney Plus because I wanted to see Baby Yoda. How, how much is it, Disney Plus? Eight dollars a month, I think. Okay, like like all of them. We're, yeah. Okay, we're returning to cable. We know this, right? You get all the same price once you get four or five streaming services. Yeah, it's you, the same as the same, basically the same as cable, but you can't watch sports. I mean, there yeah, is an ESPN streaming service. So. Yeah. My friend Nathan has that. Mm-hmm. Mr. Mannion? Yes. Oh, so you can watch his Cubs lose? Yes. Ah, okay. That's very important to, uh, to make sure your Cubs lose to my Cardinals. <laughs> so um, is anyone going to watch the new Star Wars that's coming out on the 19th? Yes. I'm definitely going with some friends to see it. I doubt it. I'm behind in the, t- I'm behind in the movies. You're not going to go see it? I don't know. I never go to the movie theater. Really? No. I mean, I... No. I thought you definitely would have been in there for Frozen 2. 
You know, I was so upset about how Frozen 1 ended. I just, I'm, I'm beside <laughs> myself. I can't, you know, like, you know, when they, they, they you know, when, when President Hillary Clinton threw Elsa into Guantanamo Bay because she voted for Jill Stein, I just, I couldn't get over it. So I'm, you know. Disney gets so political these days. Who knew, right? I Is know. Frozen Disney? Yeah. Is that a Disney product? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. No. Okay. We think so. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely going to go see the new Star Wars. It, we're, the, the whole, this whole segment, Andrew is not particularly um, useful in this segment because it's all about I don't know new movies that are coming out. Mm-hmm. And so Andrew doesn't go to the uh, to see the movies. Mm-hmm. How about? Andrew? I was there yesterday. What'd you see? Uh, I saw the Charlie Angels remake. That's not a remake. That's somehow a continuation off of the old series. Wait, what? Yeah. So, apparently, all the Charlie's Angels Mm -hmm. are chronologically, like, synced up and, like, connected, and it blew my mind watching it. I watched the reboot. I was a really like the reboot with like Drew Barrymore. Oh yeah, in like Those the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. I really liked that. Yeah. Um, so when I heard about this reboot, I'm like, it's not going to beat that. I'm not watching it. And also, why is everything being rebooted in Hollywood? Like, what happened to making new things? I think people are just running out of things to create. They have no. Well, all it's the- kind of like being a professor when we just start making up shit at the end of the semester. So we have something to throw in the test. Um, so you're giving away all our trade secrets, Andrew. Yeah, sorry. Um, so Charlie's Angels, Cassie, do you, do you know anything of this Charlie's Angels he speaks of? I saw the previews, but I've never seen any of the Charlie's Angels. And pretty much I go to the movie theater exclusively to see things related to Star Wars at this point. <laughs> you are definitely missing out. It's full of action um, and just really funny jokes. Um, also, I did appreciate how, so the old Charlie's Angels could be seen as very, like, misogynistic, as many 90s and, like, early 2000 things were, but the new Charlie's Angels really seemed to, like, try to redefine the brand, which I thought was pretty cool. Well, it's interesting, as someone who remembers the original television show at the very tail end, I mean, the late 90s was, you know, was a was a, a hyper jump uh, towards feminism away from what it was. Did you ever, Andrew, did you ever see the original TV show? No, I don't think so. No? Not that I, not that I can remember, no. I mean, yeah. Which in itself yeah. was groundbreaking because you had three women detectives, you know, who were, you know, kind of being detectives and they had this kind of old white guy as their sidekick, who Bosley, who really didn't do anything. Bill Murray, I think, plays Bosley. And in, 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 at least in the in the late '90s versions, I can't remember. If, if you really want to have like to be shocked by how awful the '70s were, go on YouTube and watch a few minutes of the original um, Charlie's Angels. And now I, I really feel old. Um, so, uh, Cassie, we're we're no longer. What's our next uh, topic? So current events, um, specifically PA raising its tobacco age to 21. Now, Randall, you were talking about this. This was kind of your 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 baby. Yes. Yeah, so, um, really, it doesn't affect me because I'll be 21 when the law changes in July 2020. Um, but I was curious to see that there wasn't a grandfather clause for people who were 18 per se this year and could buy tobacco products. But now, all of a sudden, they're having that right taken away uh, later this year, which doesn't seem really right to me. 
Yeah, I find that really interesting just because so I recently turned 18 and I'm not myself a connoisseur of like tobacco products, but I have friends who are. So I think that'd be a big change for them to go and just immediately be given it and then to have it changed like hmm. that. I was really confused about the exception. Is it for active duty, uh, military, or veterans? I, I think it's just veterans. Okay, well, it's how many people are veterans at 20 years old? But the other thing is, like, if this is about health and promoting public health, is there something about military service that makes your lungs stronger, makes you immune to, like, addiction? Um, or do we care less about? I don't. I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, right. This is what state legislatures can do. Like mm -hmm. you know, tobacco use is profoundly unpopular. Military service is profoundly popular. Yeah. And how do you prove that when you're buying, when you're buying tobacco? Like, how do you prove that you're a veteran? Well, I, you have a card. You have a card. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Though I do know from working in a restaurant, you're really not supposed to be showing that card to people. Oh. Um, my general manager was a military vet herself, so like whenever we would have uh, military personnel hand off their card, she would get very upset because they're not actually supposed to do that. So it seems like a very complicated thing to prove. Mm -hmm. hmm. What's the point in having the card that identifies you as a veteran if you can't actually show it to anybody? Am I misunderstanding? I don't know. Like, okay. From what I've understood, like. It's also part of their identification, like, for the military. Oh, okay. So like, if you're going on to base, you probably need to show that yeah. when you're pulling okay. up. Yeah. But so, to get your 10% off at Lowe's, is, is, is it just bad form? Or are we, are we on the honor system? You um, just pinky swear that you're a veteran? <laughs> <laughs> they would show it to us, but I guess they're not really supposed to, like, hand it off to you. Okay, so you have to show it. Record. Okay sensitive information on it. Oh, okay. So do, do college students, I mean, when I was in college, gosh, I had more friends who smoked than didn't smoke, mm -hmm. actually. I don't know about you, Andrew. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, I did, that was my, I mean, I worked in a restaurant um, and smoking tobacco use tends to be higher than average among um, people who work in food service. Do, do college students uh, use tobacco pro products? Is it a prevalent thing? say it's not amongst my group of friends it's not particularly like common but I do know like within the greater scheme of like my grade and my age level lots of people who use the vape as opposed to like oh, really? smoking mm -hmm. and that huh. sort of thing. So vaping's a thing. Yeah. Yeah that was I'm I'm on the uh, the tobacco free campus task force here mm -hmm. again and and when we compared uh, we compared the surveys that we administered to faculty and staff versus students um, smoking cigarettes was the most common um, tobacco use among faculty and staff. For students, it was e-cigs. Hmm. Um, the rates were just completely reversed. It was a very, very interesting trend. About t 10 years ago or so on campus, it was relatively common to have uh, students uh, chewing in class. And then they'd have these disgusting, you know, they would spit in their little Pepsi bottles. Um, I don't see that anymore, thankfully. I feel like traditional tobacco products have fallen out of uh, use, especially among modern teens, just because they're gross and, I don't know, like, they make my skin crawl. Hmm. Um, but I will say with vapes and vape juices, which is, I think, very common on campus hmm. because they smell nice, they 
it's almost like that old adage, if it's bad for you, it looks bad, it tastes bad, you know it's bad. Hmm. But with a vape, it doesn't look bad, it tastes good. So I think the association that it's bad for you is hard. But I also don't think that we're ignorant of the dangerous health side effects of it. Well, the I don't know about that because trying to convince people right now that vaping is bad is very, very difficult. Um, you know, and um, trying to convince somebody that the nicotine that they are exhaling, because when you exhale when you're vaping, you're exhaling some of that nicotine is in the vapor that's being released, is then being spread to other people. Um, I've, I've had this discussion with people, and it's like it's like I'm, when I'm teaching stats class and I'm talking about the standard error, it's just like I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but the, the cool thing um, uh, is really interesting because I was talking about this in my psychology women class um, a few weeks ago about how um, tobacco, um, gender-specific tobacco marketing towards women and hmm. how um, highly skilled they are at... Um, at making uh, vaping look really cool. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so um, to, to keep moving on here, what is our next topic, Cassie? Yeah, so finals week is fast approaching us. Um, one more week and then it's off to the grind that is finals. So tips in, in regards to surviving finals, if there are any. <laughs> so where should we start, students or faculty? Students. Yeah. Okay. Um, so as the only student here who has participated in finals, unless... Well, they have finals in high school. Yeah, we definitely. there's definitely the week before Christmas break or the first week after Christmas break is when we're usually going for finals. So what's the difference between high school finals and college finals? See, I feel like high school finals, they're just another test, whereas in college, if you have a final, it's usually cumulative. Like, it's not just that next segment of the course. Hmm. It's that entire course. I would say my experience is about 50-50 cumulative versus just another test. Although I will say one thing that's a lot more common in high school is having exemptions if you have a really high grade in the class. Hmm. Whereas in college, everyone's expected to take them. Yeah. Yeah, in my high school, we uh, were exempt from finals if we missed three days or less that semester. That semester. Okay. So it was a way to encourage attendance. West Virginia rules. Okay. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, what are our survival uh, tips for finals week? From, from Cassie and, and Randall, what do you think? So a lot of the churches around campus open up later than mm-hmm. a lot of Gannon University buildings. <clears throat> so it's very easy to go there and find a quiet place to study. And nine times out of ten, I think it's like the Presbyterian Church over mm-hmm. on six. Um, they'll have snacks for you until 6 a.m., water. Um, it's a really nice deal altogether that the church puts on. Okay. So? I would say starting early. I think the best thing for me with my finals this semester has been the fact that I've been kind of throughout the semester creating like a Quizlet and study materials so that now that we're approaching the last week, week and a half to study the material, I have everything together in one area as opposed to having to spend a couple of days making it. Hold on, Ka- Cassie, hold on, yes. hold on. Um, <laughs> are you saying that you have been studying throughout the semester and you've been slowly accumulating this knowledge? I mean, is like that sounds like, I don't know, student-like behavior. Yeah, I, it's, it sounds impossible, but it is possible, I promise you. So, I mean, because I never, look, I, I, 
Andrew and I, I, I was in school for what, what, 16 years or some, something insane like that. Maybe it was only 12. Somewhere between 12 and 16 years, college and, 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 and PhD programs, I never pulled an all-nighter. Not once. I was like, if you don't know it by 11 p.m., it's too late. Go to bed. That, that was always my rule. Um, I did when I was an undergrad. Mm -hmm. um, part of it was the fact I had to work. Um, and so I had to some I had I had to study and, and work it in. So I did I pulled a few nighter all nighters when I was an undergrad, but I eventually realized like at some point in time you're better off going to bed and getting sleep yes. than trying to cram the material in and taking the exam exhausted or even worse, taking it exhausted with a ton of caffeine on top of it. Yeah. No, it's so funny. You go into a classroom to give an exam and the students are studying their notes like they're these, you know, ancient Talmudic texts that will reveal the deepest secrets of the universe. And I'm like, look, it's five minutes till. If you don't know it by now, you're not going to know it. You know, just read ESPN instead. You know, it, it, it'll, it'll relax you. So um, quiet places to study, um, places to cram versus Cassie's sage, wise advice. You see, Cassie's plan is good if you started out the semester with that in mind. Oh. I would say for the average Gannon student, uh -huh. um, find your places to cram because more likely than not, you're going to need them. And if you don't, they're still helpful. Oh. Okay. So we should move on. What's our next topic? So I think 2020 election, which... Is it or is it not at the top of every student's mind again? So. I would say half and half. Um, I was actually surprised. I thought more people would be paying attention to it, especially given how the 2016 election played out. But then I mentioned names of candidates, and a lot of my friends don't seem to recognize them. Um, I will not lie, for being a public service and global affairs major, I am very bad at following the election prior to the uh, primary, just because there's so many candidates, and I know a lot of my friends who aren't political science majors feel the exact same way, and a lot of the candidates they feel just come out with the same kind of rhetoric after uh, one has already made the point. <clears throat> so they just kind of feel like it's an echo chamber rather okay. than anything productive at this point. What's your sense, Andrew, about students? About students? Um, I don't, so the only time the topic comes up is in class and then I try and change the subject because I don't. Um, you are psychology. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I think there's there's plenty of research out there that shows that um, the political uh, beliefs of um, college professors uh -huh. have very little impact on their students. Um, at the same time, um, I was again a professor in the aftermath of the 2016 election, and I saw how there were a lot of people who were hurt. There were people who were alienated, and I do know that there are people. Um, and one person I'm thinking of particularly who's not a Gannon, who did not handle the election very well. Mm. And I, you know, there were students who felt isolated. They felt because of how they voted. Um, so I try to avoid, I usually steer the, the, the topic away in the classroom. Okay. Um, so students are aware there's an election, but they don't yes. know much about the candidates. 
so this is like going to be a commercial for a, a PSGA event. Um, and actually, I think it was Randall. I, I got the idea kind of from you because you mentioned this to me. You're like, hey, could, could, could there be some sort of um, university venue where students could come learn about the candidates? And it occurred to me no one wants to sit around and listen to uh, professors drone on and on. I see this in class. Um, and so what we're going to do is, on the night of the Iowa caucus, which is February 3rd, uh, it's a Monday evening, um, we are going to have our own Iowa caucus simulation in which we're going to have students uh, giving um, kind of the, the best case scenario for their particular candidates. And all the students there are going to caucus for their chosen candidates. We're going to tweak it so that there is going to be a Republican uh, um, kind of side of this. We're going to have uh, those in favor of President Trump and Republicans who m might want a different Republican uh, nominee. So we'll have more information about that. I, hopefully that might be kind of interesting. So sounds like students are interested in the election, but there's just too many candidates. Yeah, I know I'll be there um, because I don't even know many of like the political candidates who are kind of like dark horses at the moment. Like I started attending events for Mayor Pete, just trying to learn more about him because he seems very interesting and up and coming. But actually knowing his policies, I don't really know. And I feel like a lot of students, uh, not just about Mayor Pete, but about everyone, hmm. kind of feel the same. Like they might have the name recognition, but what they're actually politicking, yeah, uh, maybe not. I definitely agree. I think a lot of the information that's presented on social media that candidates are trying to use to make themselves known aren't distinguishing. So hmm. then there's less of a chance of students going out and seeking the information from candidates' websites since they kind of want that easy access that social media has given them in the past. I guess it was easy in 2016. I mean, Bernie and Hillary, kind of different personalities. Just a smidge. <laughs> Just a smidge. <laughs> and and you know, the Democratic Party, right, there's, yeah, there's seven or eight kind of viable people, I think, at the, at the top. Mm -hmm. But right now, you don't get a sense from students that there's anyone that's kind of bubbled to the top that students are kind of interested in. It's just, there's just too many. I feel like any time there's been significant interest in a Democratic candidate, um, some kind of scandal comes out or some kind of news break releases and it's like, oh, are they really that viable of a candidate? Hmm. And all of a sudden, any individual leanings that there are towards um, one individual candidate kind of like evaporating your back to those seven or eight maybe viable candidates that you know of, but you don't really know. Okay. How do you find this exhausting? I mean, hmm. this, I mean the, the first person to announce their candidacy for the Democratic nomination was that um, gazillionaire from Maryland. Um, oh, the bald guy. Yeah, I can't, yeah. He announced in July of 2017 and the Iowa caucuses are not until February 2020. And, it, you know, after the midterm elections, like, Democrats started jumping in like crazy. But this goes on forever and ever and ever. Like, the British, I, I kind of like the way the British do it. Like, it, you know, in, in October, they were all not getting along. Nobody could figure anything out. So they were like, to heck with it. We're going to have an election right before Christmas. Boom. Six weeks general election, and it's over. But here in the United States, we ha it has to last forever yes, and, and ever and, and ever cycle. and ever. True enough. What, look, um, in the late 60s when, uh, you know, the primaries and caucuses actually became binding and meant something, this is what, you know, having, like, 
real grassroots democracy to choose who the presidential candidates are. Like this is the system that's developed. Mm -hmm. um, no, I think I think a lot, most people are exhausted by this, yeah. right? A little bit. I think with any election where you have this many candidates to look at, some that have very little distinguishing between them, it can be hard for any anyone, especially younger people who might not be as involved in following news cycles and everything that comes with having an election. And I mean, let's face it, it's kind of hard as a student to follow politics. Like you have papers after papers or projects after projects on top of sleep, extracurriculars, possibly having to work a job mm -hmm. on top of eight, ten people that you need to figure out their individual policies. Like it, it's a lot. I will say the one thing that's really helped me, being that I commute here three days a week in the morning, using that as a time to listen mm. to podcasts, other news radio shows, that's been really helpful for me. So if any student has just even 20, 30 minutes driving in a car anywhere, that's a really great time to catch up on that sort of stuff. Okay, quick. Favorite podcast? NPR Politics. Ooh. Plot twist. This is the fir first podcast I've ever listened to. Really? Yes. You're not a podcast listener? No. Wow. Okay. Andrew? Uh, I'm going to do two. Um, first, Intercepted. Um, it's a podcast um, um, produced by um, The Intercept. Um, and uh, My Favorite Murder, which um, is uh, it's about um, famous murders, mostly murders, some other um, crimes. And it's hosted by these two comedians. And they find a way to make it tasteful, but let very, very funny. Hmm. I think my, mine would be 538, the Nate Silver uh, political podcast, which apparently is Andrew's third favorite podcast. You can't see the faces he's making. Um, and then what would be... I, I, love, I love Bill Simmons, the sports guy. Which... Anyone Bill Simmons, the sports guy? No, this is one of the... Uh, he, he actually will, um, it's funny, he, he brings on his best friends from college on there once in a while, and he has a, a Republican friend, because Bill Simmons is a, is a liberal, and his, his friend, uh, the Republican friend, and now I can't remember his name, is all, that, that's what they talk about, uh, politics. So there you, it's sports, but 5% eh, of the time it's politics. So our final segment is, is, is what, Ms. Carr? There is a reason why we had our so-introduced special guest at the beginning, Professor Caswell. Um, would you like to tell us more about the cl a class that you put on at Gannon? Yeah, so um, in the fall of even years, um, I teach a class um, called Inside Out Reducing Prejudice. And the class is situated at the State Correctional Institution at um, Albion, which is about a 45-minute uh, drive um, from Gannon. Um, half of the students in the class um, are students who enrolled at Gannon University, and the other half are um, students who um, are incarcerated at SCI Albion. Uh, so we use the term inside out comes from the terms we use to describe the students. So the students from Gannon would be the outside students, and the students from um, Albion are the inside students. And over the course of the semester, um, we do a lot of readings, um, group discussions, um, culminating in um, um, a big project that the students work on together um, in mixed groups. So the format gives the opportunity for the inside students, the outside students to get to know one another and work cooperatively um, on a project um, that could potentially benefit the institution. What do you think is the best learning experience that students get from taking a class like that? Um, it's the challenging learning environment. 
um, forces you out of your comfort zone. Um, it's um, SCI Albion is a safe institution. Um, the, the security there is very good. Um, my students and I have never been in any danger. Um, but you are walking into a state prison. And um, when we walk to the building where we have our classes, where um, at the time I had it last time, um, the, uh, the inmates were leaving their housing units to go to breakfast. And so sometimes we would walk by a sea of people in orange. Um, and then in your, you're never, there are constant reminders that you're in a prison, um, even in the classroom. So um, that, that, and then there's the age difference between the college students and the, uh, the outside students and the inside students. Um, and also the gender differences and the race, racial differences as well. That creates a really challenging learning environment. It forces people to, um, forces people out of their comfort zone. And I think um, being challenged and being uncomfortable is a really important part of an education. What kind of specific challenges are presented by teaching in a prison? Like, are, is your material ever like uh, censored or like directed by the prison? Or? So um, I, I teach a psychology class, so that's not an issue. Um, if I were teaching something that touched more on criminal justice, um, there might be issues. They don't obviously want me doing anything to that could help um, organize or rally uh, the incarcerated students um, to rise up against the institution, you know. Um, so no, logistically, um, really the, the more challenging thing was the logistics. Um, um, for a period of time, I was not allowed to bring any material into the prison at all. Um, there was a series of, um, of uh, poisonings in uh, western Pennsylvania in, um, in eastern Ohio in 2018. Um, um, drugs were being smuggled in and uh, fentanyl um, was being smuggled in and people were getting really, really sick. And um, it culminated in an event that actually happened at Albion uh, when um, um, some, a parole violator was being brought in and, um, he, and the officer who escorted him in got sick. They called medical, medical got sick, and they locked down the prison, and eventually they locked down the entire state. Um, and that lasted 10 days. And following that, I was not allowed to bring any material into the prison. No paper, no pens, nothing. Um, and so fortunately, the staff I work with there are absolutely fantastic. And we came up with a system for me to email everything in I needed, and then they would print it out and have it ready for me. Um, the downside, the, the the downside is that all of the work that the inside students did, I took out with me, but I could never bring back in. So I had to scan it and print it out, so they don't actually have the original copies of their work. But mm -hmm. that really was the most challenging thing was the the, the logistics. Um, you know it. You know, if you, if, if you create the right learning environment and you create an area where people feel comfortable and they can work together, you know, people's natural talents and abilities um, becomes apparent, and that's what happened in this class. Now, Andrew, I've heard you talk about some of your um, inside mm -hmm. um, uh, students. You want to talk about just, like, just how smart and how driven and how kind of extraordinary you found them to be. You want to, could you talk about that? Yeah, um, actually, um, if I lined up my students' coursework, um, the difference between the students, the student who got the highest grade and the second highest grade was one point. And one of those was an inside student, the other one was an outside student. Um, some of those guys are incredibly, incredibly intelligent. Um, 
really, really good writers. Um, a few of those guys, I would kill to have them <laughs> as students in my class. I would love if my students, if my students at Gannon could write as well as some of the some of the guys that I met. And it really just kind of um, it adds to the tragedy of of their incarceration. Um, that these wonderful, gifted minds um, are locked up behind bars and not making contributions to society. And that's, that's it's, it's very tragic. Um, but really deep, critical thinkers, really, really good writers. Um, yeah. So you offer this class in the fall, fall of, of even year. So even fall, years, this fall, coming fall, yeah, fall you'll be offering this class. Mm -hmm. And there are discussions of uh, some classes in the history department. Being, being offered um, as well. Um, what do you think as students? Is that the sort of thing that might would be interesting to take an inside-out class? I don't know. Would I have to be a psychology major to participate in it? No. No. I, last time I had nursing, political science, psychology, and criminal justice majors. Yeah, I definitely think that's really interesting, especially since it's offered to all kinds of majors. Um, a lot of the classes, you see the same material, it's the same environment. I think getting out of that sort of environment, meeting new people, having those sort of challenges could add another dimension to kind of the curriculum offered at Gannon. I would definitely be interested. I guess the only other question I would have about it is how do we, how would someone get there? Uh, we, transportation um, was an interesting challenge, um, but we carpooled. Yeah, we carpooled from Gannon. And there's, there's secu for security reasons, we all had to leave and arrive together at the same time. Hmm. Okay. Um, well, thank you very much, Andrew, for uh, you know, coming in and, and participating. Um, our inaugural episode of Front Burner. Um, any last uh, thoughts, Cassie and uh, Randall? Um, I'm looking forward to seeing how this series progresses. I feel like we covered a lot today. Yeah, I agree. I think it's definitely interesting. You listen to so many po politics podcasts, general podcasts. It's cool to have one where we're talking about things that are really relevant to someone who's from Erie or on Gannon's campus. Yeah, some of us listen to podcasts. Some of us <laughs> are 19-year-olds, right, uh, dressed up 20 in 20-year-olds. <laughs> I'm sorry, in and in se 70-year-old men's uh, kind of like media habits, apparently. Hey, I just steal Disney Plus. That's all I <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everyone, thank you very much.